So before we start this week, I just wanted to say a massive thank you. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing, for liking the podcast in its first week. It really means a lot. The response has been brilliant. So thank you. Do continue to share with all your friends. Leave us a review or come and say hello on Twitter. We are at Come Out Stories. Right, let's go. on media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. You're now going to hear Matt Cain tell his coming out story. Well, I'm one of those people who um, is obviously different. I could never pass as straight. So people used to tell me I was gay before I even knew what it was. You know, and um, it's really interesting because when I was working at Attitude, I remember us interviewing quite a few big stars and they were, they were really straight-acting men and they were talking about how difficult it is to be gay and not realise it because everybody assumes you're straight and you assume you're straight. Um, I think there are challenges there, but for me, I had the very different difficulty of being one of those people who doesn't have the luxury of passing as straight and therefore you are thrust onto the front line whether you like it or not. At what sort of age were we talking that people were saying that you were gay? To be honest, Emma, I'm talking like um, five or six onwards. Well, what they used to comment on at first, and I can say this now with a smile on my face, and like, you know without it being traumatic, because I've had a lot of therapy, and I'm now 43, and it was horrendous. You know, and I've written this book, which was partly exercising those demons. Um, They used to say it to me when I was five onwards, as soon as I went to school, but it was remarking on my girliness at first. He sounds like a girl, he runs like a girl, he talks like a girl, he's into girls' things, he plays with girls' things. It was that first. And then only a few years And, of years course, later... that's always seen as derogatory, isn't yeah. it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, it's interesting. It's never a good thing to be a girl, is it? Ridiculously. That in itself is interesting. Mm. Although what, what I find interesting, funny you should say that, I think I've said this to you before, um, a girly boy when they're young, is considered a freak. A tomboy, a boyish girl, is considered really cool. Then when you get to adulthood, everybody is still considered fine to have a go at a butch dyke and make fun of a butch dyke, and everybody likes the camp gay. That is a really interesting analysis. I've never thought about it like that before. But you're right, but I was a tomboy, and people just go, oh, Emma's a tomboy. They didn't say she was a lesbian. No, but I think, like, talking to friends later in life, they kind of, some of them go, oh, we knew a gay from when you were a child. I was like, well, did you? I was just a tomboy. I didn't know. Did they know you were gay? Or were they, are they misremembering it now? Yeah. Do, you know, the thing is, as well, about lesbians have had less visibility in the media, haven't you? So, you know, it was always... There were standard jokes in the playground, limp wrists, doing impressions of camp boys, Larry Grace and all that in my era. I don't remember the equivalent for lesbians. Mm. Also, I grew up in a time when... You know, it was a particularly difficult time to be gay because it was the HIV-AIDS crisis. So we were portrayed as dangerous, disease-carrying, sexual predators who couldn't be trusted around children. And and a lot of the taunts in the school playground reflected that, actually. Don't touch him, you'll catch AIDS. You know, all that kind of thing. Um, I don't know if you remember that. I mean, you're a couple of years older than me, but did people used to say that when you were young? Not to you, obviously, but... 
I just remember there being a lot of ignorance about AIDS, and it was all like, oh, my God, if you go to that toilet and a gay person might go onto the toilet, you'll get AIDS from the toilets. That's how ignorant we were in the, in the sort of early mid-'80s. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But going back to you, then, so you weren't even out, but you were getting homophobic abuse at school. Yeah. yeah. So I was forced to think about it before... They always say normally that you start to realise your desires when you go through puberty. I don't... I mean, well, some people say that. I, I've spoken to lots of gay men who said that they knew when they were literally five or six. Mm. But um, I, I remember getting to an age where I realised that what the kids said about me was true, that I did fancy... When I realised that what being gay meant wasn't dying of AIDS and wearing leather chaps and having a gimp mask, which is all we ever saw in um, the yeah. newspapers when it was Gay Pride once a year and The Guardian would cover it, that was it. Um, I realised that it just meant that you fancied men. I, I, rem I was probably um, about nine or ten, actually, when I realised I fancied boys. Yeah, eight, nine, ten. So you'd internalised it, and then when was the first time it actually came out of your mouth and admitted it to, to someone else? Um, well, funnily enough, so, um, we are women of a certain age, and we both came of age before the internet, mm. before social media, before mobile phones. You could keep a secret in those days. Mm. And whereas now somebody comes out and it's instantly broadcast everywhere, in our day you could do it very gradually. I came out to friends at sixth form, um, and by modern standards, this won't seem very young, but I was about um, 17, 18, towards the end of sixth form. And then... I, and, but it was quite contained. And then... Um, and then I went away for a gap year in France and I was looking after kids. And again, in those days, you were, people thought you couldn't be trusted around children. There were laws to protect children from gays, Section 28. Mm -hmm. You know, so... Um, I wouldn't say I went into the closet again, but I just... I didn't come any further down the road of coming out. And then when I got back from my gap year, I went to university, I was exploring the Manchester gay scene more and more. I, by the time I went to university, I was out to all my friends. My sister came down to visit, and I told my sister, then I told my brother, then I told my mum and dad. By the time I told my mum and dad, it was second year of university, so I would have been about 20, I suppose. But I'd, come, I'd been out to friends a couple of years before, and I had that year where everything was put on hold a bit. And what were your parents' reactions then? You left it a few years, clearly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I think my mum and dad are brilliant, and it's difficult to go over these things without being critical of people, mm. um, especially when you work so hard on the journey together. Um, but at first, my mum said she always knew, as mums always do, or not always, but very often do. Mm. My dad was very upset and didn't speak for a couple of days. But, see, the thing is, what I realised later is they were being conditioned by everything they heard about gay men. What they thought being gay meant, first of all, they thought it was a choice. Secondly, they thought that what happened was, um, when you were gay, you disappeared into a London ghetto and you, didn't, you died of AIDS. Because this is all they were... They didn't have any examples of anything else. And there was a friend of my dad's had a brother who had um, disappeared to a London gay ghetto and died... I think it was before the AIDS crisis, actually, but there was some kind of um, tragedy. And that's all they knew. So, they basically, they wanted to me to be happy. 
and they assumed that being gay meant you were going to be unhappy. So they were upset about it at first. Did that, was that a long process for them to come around to the idea? Was it a case of you educating them and saying, look, my life doesn't have to be any different to the way it was last week? You know? Yes, absolutely, it was. And at the same time, the media was coming on, visibility was increasing, attitudes were changing, um, antiretroviral drugs came in to treat HIV so that it stopped progressing to AIDS, so suddenly this panic started to lessen. Mm. And... Um, you know, the hysteria around that. So attitudes started to get better. There was more visibility for gay people in the media. Yes, we worked on it ourselves individually as well. I remember... I remember when my mum said um, she always knew. I remember thinking, well, why didn't you say anything to make anything better? You know? Um, and having a bit of... Um, I wouldn't say anger, but very low-level anger around that. I remember a friend of mine um, was telling me that when he came out, his mum and dad reacted very badly and they said to him, um, this is really hard for us, you know, you've got to understand why it's really hard for us. And I remember thinking, I remember feeling really angry with his parents and thinking, um, if you think it's difficult for you, how difficult do you think it is for him? Mm. Growing up, if you, you think that all those bad things about gay people are true, He's heard them all as well. How do you think he feels believing that about himself? And, um, my, you know, so as I can say, I can talk about all this now with a smile on my face, but because I had all this therapy, and I remember my psychotherapist saying to me, if parents recognise any signs of gayness or otherness in their child, it's their responsibility to make them feel accepted and nurtured and okay about that because anything short of nurture is abuse um, and that's a parent's I mean he was quite hardline but that's a parent's job to nurture their children and allow them to be happy as they are meant to be you know and um so do you think you needed the therapy because it, it was so difficult at school for you because you were getting all this bullying and you know being told that people were going to get AIDS if they touch you that sort of thing was it the bullying that led to being um, unhappy to be honest I had um therapy for all kinds of reasons and it was great I did it for five years I stopped drinking for five years between 32 and 37 and it changed my life it was great I think it was more I mean people talk about bullying now and they bandy the word around willy-nilly when somebody just gets one negative experience with one person there is a real difference between that and growing up in a world where universally you are told that the way you are is wrong mm -hmm. that you're dirty disgusting deviant pervert if everybody's it's not just um it's not just a, couple, a bit of name-calling. I mean, some people do have a bit of name-calling, and I know that is upsetting too, but there's a difference between that and, you know, going out into the world and being met with universal loathing, fear and disgust. And that marks you, and it marks the way you see yourself, and it, and it shapes and determines your character and your behaviour. And now, at the grand old age of 43, how do you view yourself? I love myself now. <laughs> Good, and so you should. But how, what, what do you think's changed now since, since, since back then? Um, I don't, um, kind of, I've lived a lot, and I've, and I've, you know, I've lived. <laughs> I've been through a lot of experiences. I feel wiser. You know, um, you learn about yourself. You change, you mature, you know. Um, you do have to be true to the authentic self that you were at that age. 
don't you? But at the same time, um, I feel I sometimes feel quite different. Um, I don't know, actually. It's a difficult question. Isn't it? Yeah, sorry. No, that's fine. That's because you're doing a good job. Um, <laughs> I think I did it, you know what, I think, I remember coming out to my brother, where I never wanted anybody, I never wanted to be pissed, I'll take the easy way out, which um, would have been an option for having those conversations. Um, and I didn't with anybody, apart from with my brother, it slightly came out when I was pissed one night via his girlfriend at the time. And um, I remember not handling that as well as I could, as I did the others. But overall, I think I, handle my coming out well. And the family thing, you know, so many of us fear losing the love of our families and being rejected by our families. And um, it was really important to me to give my family the chance to come on the journey with me and continue to be a major presence in my life. And I'm really pleased that I did. Sometimes I think coming out is a bit of a continual process, isn't it? Because you, you never stop sort of meeting new people and doing it all the time. Do you feel that that process is a lot easier now, now that you're... Well, grown into yourself, for want of a better expression. Yes, absolutely. Although I would go back to the start of our conversation when I said um, I was always, I don't, I've never had the luxury of passing as straight, and that's mm. the same now. Some people who pass as straight have to keep coming out. The thing about me is, I'm not, I don't pass as straight, and I've always, you know, I've done jobs recently. You know, I was editor-in-chief of Attitude, the big gay magazine, Now I've just written a big gay book, and I'm all over the media talking about it. So There's it's... hardly anyone left in Britain that doesn't know you're gay, you're right. <laughs> but if they did, yeah, yeah. if they did, um, they would be able to, they can tell. And I'm happy with that. Yeah. You know, I'm happy with that. So I don't really have that continual coming out thing. Yeah. If you could um, have a word in the ear of five or six-year-old Matt as he was growing up now, what would you say to him about that journey? I would say, don't worry, it'll all be all right. You have no idea how much better things will get and how different the world will be from the one you're living in now. I would say, you know, just hold your nerve, stick at it, and um, you will be happy. Would that be the same advice you give to other people listening to this who are perhaps at the beginning of their journeys as well? Yeah, I think it probably would, yeah. yeah. It does get better, doesn't it? It gets so much better. And it gets pretty... I feel... I used to, you know, I used to um, lie in bed at night wishing I could flick a switch and not be gay anymore or cut the poison out of me and all these mm -hmm. awful things. Um, it's like my greatest blessing, no? I just think it's like the best gift I was ever given. Right. And it's, and even, you know, even if I didn't think that, it's, I've, you know, I would have realised by now that it's part of me and it's made me who I am. So I couldn't even entertain the idea of choosing to be me and not being gay because I wouldn't be me if I wasn't. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's such an integral part of me. It, and also, it's, apart from it being an integral part of you, it's almost become your career in a way, hasn't it? <laughs> I mean, you were editor of a gay magazine, you've now written a book, The Madonna of Bolton, which has just been published as we're doing this interview, is about to, like, at some point, will become a film and then possibly a musical. I mean, it's yeah. all going very well, the gay Matt Cain, isn't it? I know. So, out of my lowest point came my greatest achievement that I'm most proud of. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And the kid, the kid I was then, he was clinging on to Madonna for dear life because everybody hated him. He would have had no idea that this would, that things would end up like this, you know. And um, I'm so happy it has. I just wish I could tell him how much better things would get. There you go. That's Matt telling me all about coming out in the 1980s.
please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. We'd also love to hear from you on Twitter. You can find us there at Come Out Stories. I'm Emma Goldswell, and Coming Out Stories is a What Goes On media production. Next time, you're going to hear a coming out story from Alfie, reflecting on his journey as a trans man. Like, I couldn't tell her when I was sober, but I actually went home for the for the weekend because we were, like, living in a student house at the time. So we went home for the weekend, went out with some friends, and I came back really drunk at, like, 3 a.m. She was on Facebook at the time, so I, like, I messaged her, and I was like, what's I wanted to tell you? <laughs>